Hello, welcome to Office Hours Beyond the Lecture. Today we will be interviewing Dr. Bugia. He has been at the University of San Diego for 26 years. He has a PhD in oceanography from the Scripps Institution of Oceanography at UCSD. He's Canadian and did part of his education in Canada in French. He's also a first-generation college student and the first to get multiple degrees in his family. Thank you for being on the show today, Dr. B. You're welcome. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Um, so let's go into this. So what do you do? What is your field? What is your area of expertise? So my training is as an oceanographer, and in this case as a biological oceanographer. So I study how organisms interact with the physical environment in the ocean. And I also study not only the organisms themselves, but how they impact the environment and how the environment impacts them. I, I used to be a deep sea biologist. That was my training. Um, but since I've been at USD, my focus has been on shallow water environments, uh, particularly environments that might be affected by human pollution. So I look at the ecological responses of organisms and the environment to changes like human pollution, like too many nutrients, organic matter, things that might affect the environment itself. My other interests are to talk about climate change and educate people about the impacts of climate change. And I've been a leader on a big project that uh, changes the way we communicate science. So I would say my two passions in the research space are proper communication of science to a variety of audiences and then working on practical impacts of, so rather than just theoretical concepts, actually be in the field and look at a project that can have some practical impacts on communities and on the environment. That's really cool. Um, what was the defining moment that inspired you to do those things? So I'm one of those strange people who, at a relatively early age, got very passionate about the marine environment. I would watch marine shows, I would read books, and uh, I've always wanted to be involved in studying the ocean. So that was one of my first kind of doorways into this concept of wanting to work in the environment. Um, and then, you know, I, I followed a pathway in Canada. The choices for majors is done in a much more focused way. And if you kind of know what you're going to do, and in my case I was fortunate enough to do that, you know, you get into a track very quickly to get into the field, in my case, of marine biology. And I would say the defining moment in, in sort of a career choice was in uh, the summer of my junior year, junior to senior year, where I took a field course. And, it, it, and then when I took this course, in my mind it was three weeks of very intensive field work. And my mind was, if I come back and this is what I want to do, this will tell me this is what I want to do. If I really don't enjoy this being in the field, that intense work, then it may be a chance for me to change my pathway. And obviously, I loved it. I thrived in that situation. The concept of being in the field and doing work uh, really was something that, that I found truly exciting. Um, and so I found projects that allowed me to do that. I did as many projects that I could work on. I helped my fellow graduate students when they were doing their field work. Um, and that's really what uh, makes me very happy. Sometimes I don't get to do as much of that as I'd want, but I can tell you that once I'm on a boat, once I'm on the on the beach doing some work, all my stresses go away, and this <laughs> is what I do. It's it's sort of how I feel comfortable and happy in doing the work I do. That's really cool. Um, what do you think coming in, because you started when you were 15 years mm -hmm. old, um, which is really impressive. So what do you think coming in, what was one misconception about your field that you had? So I think um, a couple of things. I think we don't realize how much 
if you're going to be certainly a professional in the field, a faculty member, how much paperwork and how much more time you spend indoors when you're actually passionate about spending time outdoors. Um, and that means, and you know, for example, if you want to do this work and you need to write grants to get the funding to support your work or to support your students, you're spending a lot more time writing the grant and working on that than you are actually on the boat doing the work. And I think that is, um, it's kind of a win, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of confusing because you know you need to do that to make the work happen and at the same time you don't want to be doing that because you want to make the work happen. I think that was probably the biggest misconception that that you could spend a lot more time in the field doing the work. There's a lot of other components that go with that. Mm. So what do you think for you, how did that change? How, what was that when it first, when you first realized that it was a lot more grant writing? How was that for you? It's a good question. You know, I, I was very lucky to have very good mentors, even as an undergraduate. Um, I went to McGill University in Canada as an undergraduate, and the department was small, and I had an undergraduate research mentor, and one of the things that he did well is immediately tell us what it was like to get that part. So I was, I knew kind of going in once I was in the undergraduate research mode, um, and then I had graduate mentors that helped me very early on to be involved in the research grant writing perspective. So I could see the need to do that, so I didn't become disillusioned or anything like that. It was more like, okay, I have to just change my focus a bit and, and try to see the balance of getting the work done. I would like to add, when it comes to finding grants, it's something we don't talk enough about, is that sometimes you don't get the grants, and that's another part of the story where it's a lot of work to get the funding, and once you get it, you're excited and you get all things done, but sometimes what you're hoping to do doesn't happen, and you need to be flexible enough and mentally tough enough to deal with the rejection and decide, okay, how do I get this done? Because it's important. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so going into your research, going into your projects, what was your last project that you got funding for, got a grant for? Um, what was your research question? So um, I'm going to answer that two different ways. The project that I've been funded for for the last almost 10 years now um, as part of a team of phenomenal uh, researchers in a variety of different fields, was a big project on climate change education. Uh, USD is one of only six in the country that got funded on this project. It was a five-year, which we extended to six-year project, to develop the resources to educate decision makers and community leaders um, to deal with the impacts of climate change, to understand the science and to respond to the science. And so that's really the, the biggest project. And the questions were not so much a research question in a standard way. It was more um, getting the information through surveys and interviews and creating resources and then seeing if the resources worked. It was what's often called an active research program where the questions go back and forth and you're kind of changing the, the way it gets done. It included a phenomenal team of behavioral psychologists and and communication experts, and a variety of people who help organize materials. So very different from the traditional science I was trained for. On the other side of that, the work that I've been doing that's much more on the ecology side, a lot of that I've been able to do with minimal funding. It hasn't really been a funding related. It's more research with undergraduates, which is one of the great things we can do at USD. And that's been focusing on Mission Bay in the last few years and studying the uh, two different things. One, an invasive species that's in Mission Bay, and I've had two or three students work with me on that. And another one is to look at the uh, ecological changes in Mission Bay over time, mm. uh, which is connected to one of the courses that our students take. How is that for you, like, juggling both the climate change research and that, like, 
edge of it and also the science edge. And so that's a great question and, and, it, and maybe also connected to your, your question about what did you not expect. Um, it is a very challenging life to be a faculty member. I don't think people realize that because, you know, we're, we're balancing teaching our classes, which is one of the things we do at USD, with trying to do research projects for uh, the vast proportion of time for my big project, I was also the department chair, which meant I was dealing with administrative duties as well as teaching duties as well as grant duties. Wow. So a couple of different things. One is for the big project on climate change, without the team, it wouldn't have been possible. So we were very good at dividing the work from the daily work to the long-term work. I had a, There was a project director who did much of the daily organizational stuff where I can come in and do some of the national presentations and do all that kind of work. Uh, and the event. So by having a team of researchers, that was really the best way to kind of handle all the the timing that goes with that. Um, for the other one, it works out well because students in our department are expected to do research projects. And so it's really a matter of setting time aside to mentor the students. I believe that once the students have been given the skill set, I would like to see them be more independent. And so I just make sure that the work is getting done. Um, but I'm not the kind of person who's going to sit over your shoulder and make sure they're doing it right. And then we just meet regularly. So it's a matter of finding time in your schedule to meet with the students. Um, what does science mean to you? You know, there's a couple of things there. There's The first thing to me is what has really gotten me more energized over the last decade and a half or so is I really believe that science, to me, needs to be something that we could be applied it's the, the theoretical science concepts are wonderful to talk about and teach about, but it really needs to be something that will, to me, make a difference. And so I've been really focusing on projects that help us understand either our local environments, like Mission Bay, or in climate change where we can make a difference. Uh, a long-term research project that ended a few years ago with a colleague of mine in chemistry was focused on looking at the impacts of a cannery on beaches and the water, and it affected the local community and affected the fishermen. So to me, science is is a way of being able to study the environment, in my case, but put it into an applied concept. That's what really works for me from a scientific perspective. Even when I worked on functional morphology, it is how animals are designed, even then I would think about how could this be applied in a different way rather than just say, oh, I know how this muscle works in this organism. I would look to see if there's some kind of lesson that can be learned. So I view science as a way of uh, understanding the world and then using that in an applied way. Do you think that that's changed from when you were a kid, when you were 15 years old and like really excited in marine biology? It very much has changed yeah. because I think that oftentimes you get into science for the love of science in and of itself. Mm. Um, so for example, with the shrimp work, you know, I'm recognized as one of the world experts on, on locomotion in, in shrimp. And like I say, five or six of my friends really care um, that work itself is very satisfying in the space of a scientist doing his work or her work in that area. For me, I want to go beyond that. So it clearly has changed. I will tell you that I think that there's still more people who get into science for the love of science and the pure science perspective than the applied part. And I think that's one of the things that we need to um, encourage is to encourage both of those, the people who are doing science from the science perspective and the people who are doing science to connect it to something more applied. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, what do you think, for you, what was your biggest moment in your field as a scientist? Was it that moment coming out of college or was it... Um, I would say the biggest moment for me, because I was in the right place at the right time, with a PhD mentor who truly believed that his students 
should not only be doing the science and learning about science, but should learn about how to become a scientist and how to become a faculty member and a researcher was my work in the deep sea. I was incredibly fortunate to go to the bottom of the ocean, submersible dives. I went to the hydrothermal vents. I went to three different locations around the world. On one of those, it was one of the vents that had just basically discovered it on the first leg of the cruise. So to me, that was the place. And, you know, it connected back to why I became a marine biologist because I had seen a video in 1978 called Dive at the Edge of Creation. It was about hydrothermal vents. They had just been discovered. The video had come out from National Geographic. Mm. And I said, I'm going to go there. And I went there to the Galapagos, the same one from the video, with, in fact, some of the people that were on the video because one of those people on the video became my major professor. So if you ask me about, like, the top of the mountain... Um, or the bottom of the ocean in this case. Um, <laughs> that was really, to me, the place where I did something that was really so special um, and was core of my PhD experience for many years. Hmm. So that's amazing. Uh, that's crazy. Yeah, it is. Oh, it truly wow. is. Um, to get there, what were some of the challenges? As That's an interesting question. So, you know, challenges are, first of all, getting into graduate school is a challenge, and that's one of the first steps. Right? Hmm. So I was a successful undergraduate student, and I did well. Um I had some great support. I had a mentor and undergraduate that really encouraged me to do research and encouraged me to go to graduate school. Um, I applied to a variety of programs, both in the U.S. and in Canada, because I, I could do both. Um, I did a master's degree before my Ph.D., and that is because there was a program that was interesting to me that gave me an option to do a master's or a Ph.D. It was at Oregon State University. I did a master's, got done quickly, um, and then reapplied to graduate school. So the challenge in graduate school applications is that you really want to connect with someone to become the mentor that you're going to work with. That's number one. Number two, ideally you're going to find graduate school and in the sciences it's typical that will pay you to go to graduate school. So that was important to me because I was not going to be able to afford going to graduate school. And so I was able to find people that had support for me. Plus I also had a scholarship that paid for some of my graduate school. Um, and you have to be resilient because you can apply and have all these great letters and think that you're going to get in and you don't get in. So... You know, despite the fact that I went to Scripps, which is one of the most prestigious oceanographic programs in the country, I only got into Scripps for my PhD. I didn't get into the other two schools I applied, and you kind of wonder why sometimes. And so as someone applying who hasn't done this before, you have to realize that a lot of it is fit. It's a combination of your skills, the fit with the person who wants to work with you, and the amount of support that's available for you to get in. So that's probably the biggest lesson of you know, what are the obstacles and what it takes to get to where you want to go. I had developed my interest in Arctic environments and in the deep sea, so by the time I applied for my PhD, I focused only on people doing work in the deep sea, mm -hmm. and that's why I got into that space, and that's why I did some of the work that I did. Um, but it is a challenge, and it requires some personal resilience to be able to handle the acceptances in the place you want to go and the rejections in, as well. What do you think, um, I, knowing that you're also a first-generation student, how was that also a challenge for you? you well, I had to do all the work on myself, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, my parents went to high school, and of their siblings, they're the only ones who made it through high school, eight on one side, on each side of their families. Uh, so for me, it was, you know, figuring out what the ropes are, what I need to do, uh, how do you apply to graduate school, all of that, how do you apply for scholarships, um, does your family qualify for financial aid or not? And I was mm -hmm. in that weird space, it turns out, uh, at least in Canada, where my parents made just enough for me not to qualify for certain types of financial aid, but not enough to be able to, you know, 
pay my way school. through grad school. Yeah. Uh, undergraduate universities in Canada have a reasonable price range, so I was able to basically work in the summer and, and pay my way through college. Um, but for grad school, a lot of it came from having a mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, and a place like USD is ideal for that because we work closely with our students. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones that are going to help you apply for the scholarships that you can apply for and write the letters of recommendation and give you this. So I was able to apply for scholarships for my master's degree, which I got, and scholarships for my PhD, in addition to then um, getting work with uh, someone who had some funding. The one thing you have to do is, and it's sometimes uh, challenging to speak of yourself as a great student and a great this, I think it's, at least for some people, it's not easy to do. You really have to sell yourself in a way that says, I'm very good at what I do, here's I am, how can I work with you? And you have to be pretty bold and say, you know, can I work with you? Are you taking on graduate students? Do you have funding to support a graduate student? Or coming in with a scholarship, what else can you do for me? And I found that that helped me get through that, but a lot of that was mentorship from my professors. And then what do you think about after? Like, once you graduated grad school and you're now out in the world, like, what... That's the other big obstacle and other big challenge, right? <laughs> um, and that's unpredictable as well. And um, so the standard path, if you get a, a doctorate in the sciences, is to do a postdoc, which means a research project typically. Um, right now, it's not uncommon for people to do two or three postdocs uh, before they get their first full-time tenure-track position. Um what happened with me was kind of interesting. I applied for a variety of postdocs that would have been funded uh, in Canada. Um, there was no funding, so I didn't get funded. Um, and then I was always interested in teaching, though my background had been in the research space, obviously, for my degree. And uh, an opening occurred at USD to teach part-time. So I taught one semester, and then I liked it here, and they liked me, so I taught another semester part-time. And then they were able to hire me to teach um, without being tenure-track, which means I'm the place to get a job. They hired me to teach a variety of courses in both marine science and in the biology department. And then when a position opened up, then I applied, and you compete for the position, and you get the position. Um, It's a challenge because once you get those degrees, you have to determine, do I want to stay in a research space? Do I want to work for industry, which is one of the possibilities you can do with a degree in the sciences? Or do I want to be in a teaching university or a junior college with my PhD? And those are very different kinds of activities, very different kinds of lifestyles. Um, and I don't think you can make that decision until you're there, until you've been through the PhD process, and then you realize, okay, this works for me. I want to stay in the research world, or I want to balance research and teaching, or I don't want to be in a university setting at all. I want to be in a different setting altogether. Was there anything else? other than graduate school that you were thinking about doing before applying? Or was that like a path for you? Was that bang, 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 I'm going to be... I thought doctors? about that a lot. Um, I was I was very driven. It was sort of like once I got the mentorship in the undergraduate school and I was, a, you know, one of the top students, uh, not, you know, the number one, but clearly in the top group of students, and I loved the research part, um, graduate school became the pathway. And it was, you know, I, I didn't stop. Um, I was much more effective then than I am now. Um, <laughs> I got my master's degree in under two years when I realized I wasn't going to be able to stay there. Um, my PhD took a little longer, but it included six months at sea in different times of time, give or take a month here or two months there, including trips at the bottom of the ocean. So um, it was really a very linear one after the other. Um, I don't regret it at all. I was very lucky because I was an oceanographer and I liked field work. I got to travel the world. 
I got to do all those things. I got married in the middle of that. I had a kid in the middle of that. Everything worked out very well <laughs> for me. If I had to do it again, I would probably take some time off between the undergraduate and the graduate experience. Um, only because I think it would have been good to either do Peace Corps or do something that was different. Um, because I realized once I got my job at USD and went through the tenure process and took my sabbatical, my first sabbatical after six years here, that I really had not taken a break in 20 years from the time I graduated by undergraduate to the time I did it. It was like one after the other, applying for jobs, applying for grants, applying for this and that. And and I don't regret it. Again, I had a lovely life. I was charmed life, I would say, in some ways. Um, but I think if from a perspective of balance, I probably should have taken a bit more time. Hmm. I think it's because, luckily enough, as an oceanographer, I got to travel and do things that I did not feel the stress as much and because things kind of fell into place reasonably well for me mm -hmm. um, as far as never being really without some kind of job. Even if it wasn't a high-paying job, I had something. Um, I don't think I felt as stress as someone who may not have been able to get something soon after graduate school. You've changed your focus over mm -hmm. these years. Um, what do you think, what's made you change your focus? So two different things. One is on the teaching side and one will be on the research side. On the teaching side... I always wanted to be someone who could also communicate the work that I did and the science that I did. I'm luckily to be really naturally comfortable in speaking in public. I was a tour guide, so I was able to do this on a regular basis from the age of 16. Um, so to me, the, 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 to change was to go from a research intensive, that's all you do, that's all you work on, you're in the field, you're in the lab, you're reading material that's focused on your research project, to going to a place where I have to read new material that's outside of just the area that I'm in. I have to expand my knowledge base um, to work on other things, and I've got to find the right way to communicate the science to students. It's really, in, in, mm -hmm. in, me, in my mind, it's of a translation of the science that's just for the PhD scientist level to a group of intelligent people who want to learn something but don't have 10 years of training in the material. So that was a big change, is how do I go from talking about science only to scientists to talking about science to non-scientists and to students in general, everything from a core student, right, taking the class for introductory biology to our majors. So from a teaching side, that's part of it. You're being an interpreter. You're interpreting. You're very much, very much, that's what you're doing. And then the second part of that was a research space, and that was going from research that I did for myself, for the field, so studying how organisms are designed and how they swim and how they move, um, really developing a reputation, doing the work in that space, mm -hmm to moving to much more, as I said earlier, to me, which is important, to move much more to the applied side. How can I use my research skills to look at environments that are being affected by humans, to look at um, the response of organisms to environmental stresses? And if I look at my evolution through my time at USD, I went from that to the projects on impacts of pollution in a developing country, so there was all these other issues that came with that working with the fishermen, working with the industry, as well as doing the research itself, as well as teaching, as we brought students with us on a regular basis. And then moving, if you continue on in my, in my trajectory, moving towards a climate change perspective, which is really very applied and very focused on changing the world in that way. So to me, that's kind of the biggest difference that's occurred as I saw a change from pure science, uh, both in my research and my discussion, to teaching it, interpreting it from a class perspective, and looking at projects that would have a much bigger impact on a community level and on an applied level. That's really interesting. 
that's really um, a cool way to shift your focus from one thing to another in very a very fluid way, it sounds like. Um, what does your typical day look like now? This year, I'm on sabbatical, so my typical day is much better. <laughs> a typical day, if I'm at USD, um, if I have a day that's teaching, you know, you'll come in, you'll prepare for your lecture, you'll review material. Um, if you've taught the same class many times, it's a little easier because I'm really just updating the material. Uh, so environmental issues, one of the core classes I teach now, I'm always looking for new material and what's happened in the day, bring in sort of current events. Um, and then you have to spend some time, you know, talking to students, working with them, and then grading their papers and all of that. So that's a large part of your life. Um, from a research perspective, I will tend to try to have a day that I dedicate to that or two days. Um, it just really depends on the projects. When it was the climate change project, there were a lot of times when there were meetings, either on campus, meetings with the team, uh, presentations locally or nationally. So that meant being away and having to present in a, in a space, and that just means changing your schedule. Um, the biggest challenge that I had was when I was both the department chair and a faculty member and a research project. Um, <laughs> that meant that a typical day was not typical. It just completely, completely different. One day I could be dealing with budget issues as a chair. The next day I could be doing a national presentation. And the next day I could be teaching a class. So I don't have a lot of typical days. <laughs> leave it at that. Is that fun? Do you like it that way? Or? I do. And sometimes I... I there are times in which it's stressful, mm-hmm. and there are times in which I think some things fall by the wayside, because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a much more, uh, if, you, if you do Myers-Briggs, I'm much more of a P, which means <laughs> I'm perceptive, and I tend to go more with the flow, um, which is both good and bad, because sometimes I don't get all the little detailed stuff done mm-hmm. as well. So the only thing I would say is when I was juggling too many things, I think there, there are some things that fell by the wayside. Um, and sort of the, the mundane kind of thing, so mundane grading doesn't seem like it's mundane, but it's kind of the stuff you do at the end of the day. You're not, if I'm dealing, to me, I'd rather be dealing with people than dealing with paperwork. Mm-hmm. And so, um, on the other hand, I would be totally bored if my day was very regulated. <laughs> the same over uh, the same again. thing every day. That's why I like taking on new challenges for classes. I like to think of classes that are integrated. I like to think of projects that are related to my class. Um, I, I just don't think, I, I have colleagues who have taught the same class for, same three or four classes for 20 years, and I could not yeah. handle that. I much more enjoy having a situation where I can do something different new, and new and exciting and, and innovative. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but that's okay, because that's kind of the exciting part of being in the academic world. That's cool. Um, all right, so last question for you. Um what would be your advice for somebody who wants to go into deep diving or um, marine biology or, like, the things that you're doing? Like, what, what would be your advice? A couple of things. One is for you to be, for anybody to be successful and to make it through the whole journey. That is, if you're going to continue on and want to become a faculty member or a professor or a researcher. Uh, it requires persistence. You have to be dedicated and you have to be passionate. Those three things go together. And what I mean by persistent is you're going to run into roadblocks. You're going to run into people who are going to make it difficult for you. You're going to run into people who may not even be nice to you. And sometimes in graduate school, you'll have these very strange interactions. Or you'll end up going to a meeting and have someone say that your work is totally useless, even though you know it's not, because that's sometimes part of that world. Um, So you have to develop a personal perspective first. That is, you need to be able to be resilient. You need to be able to be dedicated to 
I'm going to do this. And, you know, graduate school is very much based on you being self-driven, mm-hmm. right? You're not going to have someone looking over you. You're not going to have, you know, your professor is going to say, here's your project, you need to work on this, and you need to, to be driven yourself. So I think that's one of those sets of characteristics you need to have to be successful. I mean, the other part is you need to have the skill set of whatever it is you're passionate about. And, and I, I've said before, you know, I, I wanted to be a marine biologist at 15. I'm 40 years later. I'm still a marine biologist and doing that kind of work. But if I really got sucked at biology when I was 15, I wouldn't have been a marine biologist. And so you have to balance the skill sets that you have with the passions that you have to find that space. The other thing I would say, maybe the thing that helps you get there, because all of that that I just said is all about you, the, you as a person, as an individual. Um, and USD, I think, is ideal for the second part, which is you need mentors. You need to work with people who are mm-hmm. going to help you get into that path. Be it how to apply to graduate school, who you should work for at graduate school. What's graduate school like? Um, what is graduate you know, school? Is it, is it something that I really want to do? Or maybe I need to take a break, or maybe I need to work in the field for a while. Um, you need that discussion in USD is ideal for that because we know our students and we work with them. Um, I would not be where I am today had I not had research mentors who encouraged my research, who helped me go through that. Especially as a first generation, my parents didn't know what college was, let alone graduate school. I mean, I I kept getting an answer from my father-in-law, a question from my father-in-law, which was, when are you going to be done? When are you going to be done? Because, of course, they view you're, you're smart, you go to college, you get a job. And that doesn't work that way if you're going to graduate school. And postgraduate. And postgraduate school. And, and maybe you're working part-time. I had a friend of mine, small side story, a friend of mine again <laughs> to visit me. Um, I had a, a one-year-old. I had just started my part-time work at USD after graduating and living in a small apartment. And he's looking at me like, literally saying, this all you got? Like, you were the smart one and you did all this. And he didn't understand what I did until... On the Monday morning, he was visiting over the weekend. On the Monday morning, he came with me to a field trip. It was a field trip at the beach with my students. And then he saw me in my element. Mm. I'm in the field. I'm teaching. It's all about the beach. It's about the invertebrates. It's about the organisms. And he, the light bulb went on. He went, oh, <laughs> this is what you do. This is what you love. This is what you love. And this is what you're good at. Mm-hmm. And it changed his perspective on the... Why am I not a doctor or a lawyer or a professor in sort of the forum? Things where you can get a lot of... So I think that's a big lesson to me is, as a student coming to USD, you need to develop your own personal strengths and your skill set on your own, but you need to take advantage of the fact that there's phenomenal mentors here who can help you develop the pathways, the connections... The, uh, the material to do, how to apply for a grant, what to look for, and also, frankly, what we're doing now, which is a reality check, right? It's, it's great to be where we are, and it's great to be successful and, and have a good life, but it wasn't an easy step, and you need to know that going in. Um, choosing graduate school means that you're choosing a style of life and a pathway that's different than working at a 9-to-5 job in a company. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need to know what you're doing with going in with your eyes open, and we can help you with that. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Beast, for uh, coming in on this podcast. Um, I really appreciate having this interview. You're welcome, and I enjoyed it, and I hope that we can uh, continue talking to students and helping them make their minds about what they want to do when they grow up. (laughs) Well, thank you, listeners, for tuning in to uh, Office Hours Beyond the Lecture today. I hope to see you at the next episode. Bye.